So we started our emoji series with love last week, and, and this week we're talking about joy, and we'll get to the others in the next couple of weeks. Um, I, as I was working on the message this week and getting to the end of the week and kind of looking at how it was shaping up, I've realized this is a really serious message about joy, which didn't kind of seem like it went together, like there should be more joy in a message about joy, and maybe there will be before we get done with it, but I'm just kind of warning you, it's kind of a serious message about joy, but then I, I remembered a, a quote by C.S. Lewis. Lewis once wrote that joy is the serious business of heaven. And what he meant was that God is very serious about us experiencing joy. He, he lives in joy. He is joy. Joy emanates from his being, and he is serious. He's committed to us experiencing joy in our life. So I thought a good way to start the, the, the message would be for you to share the last time that you really laughed at something. The last time like you really got joy out of something. So there's somebody sitting close to you, in front of you, behind you, next to you. I'm going to give you 30 seconds. One person gets 15. The other person gets 15. Real quickly, the last time you really laughed at anything, tell them about it. When did it happen? What was it? You got 15 seconds, then we'll change. Ready, go. And switch. Other person's turn. Okay, time's up. Time's up. It sounds like you had something to talk about. So that's a good thing. We're starting in a good place. Hopefully you didn't have to go back like two years ago to come up with that. Hopefully it was last week or the week before or at least in the last month or so. Like something happened that lightened your heart, made you smile, made you laugh. Some experience that you had. And I know laugh is kind of a subjective term. Like there's a range of what it means to laugh. Like some people are chucklers. Right? They don't really, they're not all into it. They're sort of semi-committed to it, and so they're just kind of chucked. Some people are, they're heavy breather laughers, right? <laughs> Those types, you, you know who you are, and you know who's in your family that's, that's like that. And some of you like to cover the mouth laughers, so you don't want people to see you laugh for some reason. And then, then there's some of you, and you are the wall rattler, snorter, Wake up everybody within a five-mile radius, beverage coming out of your nose, laughter. Like, you are fully committed when it's time to laugh. It's, you're all out there, which is awesome. The, the important thing is not kind of how you, how you do it. The, the important thing is that you need to do it. Like just how important laughter and lightheartedness is. This, this is not kind of like a trivial secondary issue in the life of a follower of Jesus or a life of any of us. This is, this is key to not only our relationship to God, but our relationship to other people. Proverbs 17 says, a cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit drives up, dries up the bone. A cheerful heart, a light heart, a happy heart. It's good medicine. It's like it's like ibuprofen for sore muscles, right? Or Tylenol for a headache, or or Nyquil when you wanna when you have a cold and you, you want a self-induced coma, right? It's, it's like that, except without the hangover the next morning. It's like good for you. 
It makes things better. It, it's therapeutic. It has healing properties. It's, it's, it's good medicine. It's good for the soul, and we, we need it. Nehemiah said at one point in Nehemiah chapter 8, and we'll come back to this passage in a minute. He says the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. It's what, it's what gives us vitality. It gives us energy. It gives us strength in, in a lot of different ways. Emotional strength, like the, the emotional ability to deal with, with life and, and relationships and, and everything that's happening. Joy gives us strength to, to manage that. Relationships, you ever notice that you manage relationships better when, when your heart has joy in it? You, you deal with spiritually. It's our strength because God's a God of joy. He's a God who exists in, exudes, gives joy to his, to his people. And without that, everything becomes harder. Everything becomes more overwhelming, more, more catastrophic. Richard Foster wrote what's kind of a classic in, in spiritual literature called Celebration of Discipline. And he devotes a whole chapter to joy, to what he calls celebration. And, and in that chapter, he writes... I am inclined to think that joy is the motor, the thing that keeps everything else going. Joy produces energy. Joy makes us strong. Foster says, I, joy is kind of that inner drive, that inner motor, that engine that we got to keep revved up because it fuels, it feeds everything else about the, about the spiritual life and in some ways everything else about our about our personal lives. So we're going we're to talk about this subject in spiritual and practical terms, but let me give a couple of disclaimers before we jump into the, to the topic. Here's the first one. In discussing joy and taking up this topic today, I'm not suggesting that our lives should be one continual stream of hysterical laughter, all right? You probably got problems if that's you, right? It's too many drugs or something's going on. It's like all the time. Everything's hilarious to you. Let's be honest. Not everything in the world is hilarious. Not everything's funny. So, some things are serious, and they, we should be serious about them. Solomon, in writing the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3, is a poem. It's kind of popular. But he writes in verse 4, there is a time to weep and a time to laugh. Like There's a time that you're going to be serious, and you're going to be sad sometimes, and you're going to be discouraged sometimes. But that's not the only emotion you should be experiencing because there is a time to laugh. And, and if you're not finding that time often enough in your life, this is not just personal emotional problem. This is a spiritual issue because God wants us to experience joy. And no, life is not one big comedy routine and not everything is funny, but there is a time to laugh. There is a time to have joy and be Lighthearted. Second disclaimer, I'm not suggesting that a, a few tips on joy fixes all discouragement. I, I'm not trying to be trivial about this topic. I realize that there are times when we go through discouragement, maybe even depression, when we need help with that. We need to talk to, to a good Christian counselor and work through that. Maybe we need to talk to our doctor. I realize that a lot of things affect our emotions. And, and I don't mean to suggest that just make yourself happy is the answer to all discouragement. But here's what I would say, and, and think about it before you disagree. On any given day, on any given Sunday or Tuesday or Thursday or Saturday, on any given day... 
Most of us are not at that level of discouragement. Most of us. Most of us are not at, hey, I need to see a doctor level of discouragement. Now, I, I would say most of us will probably go through some times like that in our life. And we'll need to seek that sort of help. But on any given day, most of us are not there. So today's message is, is not for truly depressed. I truly need to seek out some real help with this. All right. I'm not saying that today's message fixes all of that. I'm simply saying joy is, is an important matter. And, and here's a couple of reasons. One is because God frequently commands joy from his people in the Bible. God frequently says, I want you to be joyful. Like, I'm not giving you an option. I, I want joy to be a part of, of your life. Some examples, Psalm 33. Sing to him, to God, a new song. That's what we've been doing. Play skillfully and shout for joy. Commanding you to experience joy in celebrating God. That's God's command. Psalm 68. But may the righteous be glad and rejoice before God. May they be happy and joyful. This is what God commands of us. I want you to be happy and joyful. I want you to have a light heart. I want you to be energized with celebration. If you like the New Testament better than the Old Testament, Romans 12, 12. Be joyful in hope. Do this, God says. Now, a couple of principles to keep in mind whenever we talk about God's commands. One is this. God never commands us to do something that he won't help us accomplish. God never says, I want you to do this. You're on your own. God always says, look, I want this for you and I'll help you. Like, I'll give you strength. Like, I'll give you the spirit to be able to do it. I'll, I'll come alongside you. I'll walk with you. You don't have to do it by yourself. God never commands us to do something where he won't come alongside and help us. That, that's why sometimes in the Old Testament especially, we find people asking God to give them joy. God, I need your help with this. Uh, one example is in Psalm 86. Bring joy to your servant, Lord, for I put my trust in you. Hey, I need help right now with my joy level, God. Would you help me? And God says, well, of course I'll help you. I'd love to help you. I want you to have joy. King David, the most remembered, most popular, greatest king of all of Israel. Some of you remember there was a time in his life where he prayed, God, restore the joy of my salvation. I've, I've messed up. I've, I've gone the wrong path. And I need you to give me joy again. I mean, God doesn't command anything that he doesn't help us with And therefore, it's okay to say, God, I need help with my joy right now. I need you to give me joy. The, the other principle of God's commands is that God never commands something of us unless it's for our good. And unless ultimately, personally, emotionally, spiritually, eternally, you'll never find a command in the Bible that God gives to us to obey that doesn't ultimately resound to our good. And so when God says, Look, I want you to be joyful, he's, he's not being callous toward what we're going through. He's not being dismissive of our hard times. He just knows our soul needs steady infusions of joy. Our heart, our strength needs steady infusions of joy. Now, when you read the Old Testament, you find that God's commands to be joyful often are around specific festivals and celebrations. 
God, God set up the calendar for his people so that the, the 12 months of our calendar, the Jewish calendar even, is punctuated by times of celebration. Every few months, there's another festival. Every few months, there's another celebration. Here's an example from Deuteronomy. Celebrate the festival of tabernacles for seven days after you've gathered the produce of your threshing floor and your wine press. Be joyful at your festival. Now, this particular festival follows the harvest. They've been working. I mean, they've been working overtime. They've been getting up early. They've been staying late. Relationships have kind of taken a back seat. They hadn't spent as much time with their kids as they probably need to because you got to get the harvest in. And God says, look, you're going to work really hard for this period of time. So on the back end, when that's done, I want you to party. Like, I want you to celebrate. I want your hearts to be light. I want you to sing. I want you to dance. I want you to have a great time. Another example. This is the Nehemiah passage we referenced. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some of those to, have, who have not, to those who have nothing prepared. In other words, make sure everybody's a part of the party. Get everybody to the table. If they can't bring a covered dish, then you bring extra. Make sure everybody's got some. This is going to be a great time. This day is holy to our Lord. And in this command, do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. God said, there's going to be times, and I'm telling you, I don't want any crying. Like, there's no crying in baseball, and there's no crying at this festival. Like, I want you to get it together. I want you to pull it together. I don't want you to come sad and depressed. I want you to come really ready to experience joy, ready to celebrate. And at first, that sounds kind of callous a little bit, doesn't it? It's, it's like, well, God, what if I got bad stuff going on in my life? Well, what if I don't feel like celebrating. What if some things are falling apart over here on the side? But actually, that was part of the point. Part of the point was God saying, you know, there's always going to be stuff going on in your life. Like there's always going to be some negative things going on. But what I want you to do is in spite of that, in the middle of that, I want you to carve out times to be joyful. The reality is, Life doesn't have to be perfect to experience joy. And sometimes that's our thought. Sometimes our thought is, well, i got to get these things worked out, and work is stressful, and family's this, and this is going. I, I can't be happy right now. i, I got to settle all those things. That was not God's approach in the Old Testament. God said to his people, look, all of you have reasons to be down. If you think about it long enough, you could come up with some reason to be discouraged, some reason to be depressed. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to set that aside for just a little bit, and let's focus on what is good. Let's focus on what is in your life. Let's, let's focus on the things that you can be joyful for and you can be joyful about. Because I don't, I don't know how your life is, but like my life is, there's never like a perfect day. There's never a day where like everything's done and everybody's happy and there's no stress and there are no problems and there's nothing to be solved. There's never that day. And so if we're going to experience joy, we're going to experience joy in spite of some of our circumstances, not because of all of our circumstances. Great proverb, one of my favorites. Proverb chapter 14 says, Even in laughter, the heart may ache, and rejoicing may end in grief. 
What I like about this proverb is that it acknowledges that our life pretty much all the time is lived on two parallel lines. There's the parallel lines of all the things that are going great. Like my marriage is really great right now. The kids are really great. My job really stinks right now. My, my extended family, we're having all kinds of problems over here. Whatever those things are in your life, if you think about it, life always operates with both of them going on. Some really good things, some really challenging things. And the proverb writer says, you know, that's kind of the way life is. And if you're waiting to completely eliminate all of the stress and all of the negativity to laugh or to celebrate or to experience joy, you're never going to experience joy. What we have to do is periodically... We need to interrupt our sadness with joy. We need to interrupt our routine, our stress, our discouragement. We need to interrupt. We need to call time out. That's what God does in the Old Testament. He says, look, for, for this seven days, you're calling a time out on all the stuff that's stressing you out. And you're just going to come and you're going to have a party, and you're going to rejoice, and you're going to focus on me, and you're going to sing to me, and you're going to dance, and your heart's going to get filled up. And, and, and the truth of the matter is the problems aren't going to go away when you do that. He's not saying experience joy and all your problems go away. But I think what he's saying is when you allow your heart to experience joy, then you have new strength when it's time to go back and deal with those problems. You have, you have a fresh spirit. You have an encouraged heart. And the problems are still there, but you carved out some time to celebrate, to experience joy. And so now your heart's better able to deal with those things that are going on. So from a practical standpoint, what that means is you and I have to plan intentional times of joy. And a lot of times we think that joy should be, just be spontaneous, and sometimes it is. Sometimes joy and, and, and uh, uh, laughter is, is very spontaneous. But when you look at the Old Testament, God planned it out for us. He said, we're going to do this for seven days. Don't bring your discouragement up in here, all right? I don't want you to put a smile on. He's not saying he wants us to fake it. He's not saying that he, he, he doesn't want us to be real and authentic. He's just saying, look, you got some things you could celebrate if you'll just focus on those. I know you got a lot of other stuff too, but if you would focus on the good things, you've got plenty to celebrate. That's what I want you to think about for these seven days. Don't think about the other stuff. Think about those things, get your heart full, and then go back and you'll be better able to deal with those other issues that are in your life. So, diagnostic question related to this. What activities do I need to engage in and what activities do I need to disengage from in order to experience greater joy? Just practical, diagnostic question for everybody to answer because your answer is going to be different from mine. What are those activities that rev up your heart? What are those activities that fill you with joy, that make you laugh, that make your heart lighter, and how do you get them on your calendar? Because that's what God did for the people in the Old Testament. He said, we're going to have a party. We're going to do it seven days, and I want you to come ready to have a good time. I want you to come ready to laugh, ready to experience joy. And the principle for us now, thousands of years later, is to ask that same question. All right, how do I interrupt my calendar periodically? How do I punctuate the calendar periodically with activities that are going to feed my heart? And 
How do I disengage from activities that are sucking joy out of my life? Now, you can't do that with all of them, right? I mean, you got a, you got a job, right? If your job is stressful, you got to change jobs or you got to deal with it. It's not like you can eliminate all stressors. But what are those things maybe that you're doing that you don't have to do and you know this is sucking the joy out of my life? Can I disengage? Can I disengage for a short period of time? Can I say, you know what, I need three months of not doing that and I'll go back to it in three months. But I need to disengage for three months so that my heart gets full again. What activities do I need to engage in? What activities do I need to disengage from in order to have more joy. And then how do I put those on my calendar? Then, as I'm experiencing them, respond in gratitude for God that those things are in your life. When God asks His people to have joy in the Old Testament, primarily it's a response to things He's done for them. Saying, look, I I want you to notice the good things I've put in your life and be joyful about those. I want you to notice that, yeah, not everything's perfect in your life. There's all these great things. Could you be grateful with joy for those things? Part of being a joyful person is just being a noticer. It's just noticing that, you know what, I can make a list of all the things that are wrong in my life, or I can make a list of all the things that God's done in my life. And noticing Thank God, that was from you. God, thank you for that. It was, wasn't a big thing. Maybe it was just a small thing. But God, thank you. I got that email today. Somebody sent me a card. I had that three-minute conversation. It encouraged my heart. God, I know that was from you. I know you put that person in my life. Thank you. It's just being a noticer. And then being grateful for those things that God has put in our hearts. Another, a little more personal diagnostic question is this. What people do I need to engage with and what people do I need to disengage from in order to experience greater joy? Again, a little more personal, a little more awkward. Who are the people that fill my heart with joy? How do I get around them more? Who are the people that take joy out of my life? How do I distance myself from them? And again, you can't do that with everyone. And we're to be salt and light. And we're to love people that are difficult to love. All of that's true. But if I'm struggling with joy and celebration and lightheartedness, then i got to ask sometimes, who are the people I need to be around more and who are the people I need to be around less? The Bible references this a couple of times. In Psalm 95, the psalmist says, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. In other words, it's not just me. Come on, let's do this together. And it'll help both of our joy. It'll give both of us more joy if we do this together because your joy will add to my joy and my joy can add to your joy. Let's do this together. Let's get together and experience joy. In the New Testament, Paul writes, May the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus because he often refreshed me. You need those kind of people in your life, don't you? You need people that you're around them for a little while, you go to dinner, you have a conversation, you talk on the phone, and you just feel refreshed. We have people like that in our life. We got to get them on our calendar, right? If you don't, pay somebody. I I don't know. But I, I bet if you looked long enough, I bet if you looked hard enough, you'd realize, man, I always feel better when I spend 30 minutes with that person. 
When I have coffee with that person, I always feel better. When I hang out, when we go to dinner, we take two hours, we talk about nothing, and I'm driving away and my heart feels lighter. Who are those people? And how do I engage with them more so that my heart feels the sense of joy that God wants it to feel? Now, here's the problem. Here's what we have to watch out for. It's, it's this idea that joy and joylessness are habitual. Joy and joylessness are both habitual. The, 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 here's what I mean. One, once we experience one of them, we tend to keep experiencing it. We, we tend to continue in the habit of joy or we continue in the habit of joylessness. Charles Duhigg wrote a great book several years ago called The Power of Habit. Some of you may have read it. It's kind of a technical, scientific, psychological look at how habits get formed, how they get solidified, and then what you have to do if you want to break a bad habit. Like, how do you form good habits? How do you break bad habits? And he breaks it down into steps, and we won't go into all of that this morning. But he starts the book by explaining how our brain always looks for shortcuts. Our brain is always looking for shortcuts in the sense that our brain is always looking to turn common activities into autopilot. So if our brain can shift an, uh, um, a, a, an activity into autopilot, then that leaves more of our brain for new information and solving new problems. Example, when you get up in the mornings, Regular morning, you're going to work, you're, you, whatever you do when you get up in the morning. Chances are you follow the exact same routine to get ready. Whether you shower first or brush your teeth first. The, the way you shower, like where you start, you start at the top and go down. You start on the limbs and go in. Whatever it is you do. <laughs> the way you get dressed, like you put your pants on first, you put your shirt on first. Chances are... You do it almost the exact same way every day, and you don't ever think about that. Why? Because your brain has shifted that activity to autopilot. Okay, I know how to do that. I don't have to figure that out every day. We just do it the same way. So I'm going to work on something else is what your brain is doing. Have you ever pulled into your neighborhood? You're driving home. You pull into your neighborhood, and, and suddenly you realize you don't remember making the last three turns. Because your mind was off somewhere, right? You were solving some problem. You were thinking about something that happened at work, a meeting that you have the next day. Yeah, why? Because your brain was on autopilot. Now, it's not literally on autopilot. Don't take your hands off the wheel or anything crazy like that. But your brain knows where to go, even if you're not directly thinking about it. <clears throat> Here's one that happens to me. I don't know if it happens to you. You're going somewhere. Say it's a Saturday. You're, you're not going to work or to school, but like the first half of the trip is the same way that you go to work. And then you get to where it separates, and you're thinking about something, and you make the turn to go to work, right? And you go, why did I turn here? I'm not going to work today. I'm going way over there. It's because your brain tries to shift as much as it can into habit mode or autopilot mode where you don't have to think about it, you just react. How does that re relate to joy? Joy and joylessness, I think, are very similar. 
Because we either form the habit of responding in celebration and gratitude, responding in joy, and then because we responded in joy, we find other reasons to respond in joy. We find other things to notice. We find other good things to celebrate. There's a, a, a great passage in 2 Chronicles 13. The people of Israel are celebrating one of the festivals. And they're like, they're, they're having this great time, and God is there, and they're celebrating, and they're singing, and there's great food. And, 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 and the line says, and so all the people decided at the end of the seven days, they would do it for seven more days. It's like they were having such a great time, and they thought, well, let's keep the party going. We're just going to keep, keep going. And that's the way joy is in our heart. When, when we give joy attention, we allow our heart to experience joy our heart moves towards joy. Again, have you ever been out with um, a friend or a, a couple that, that you're friends with? Or maybe you and your spouse, it's the first time you've been out on a date in a long time or been to the movies or gone to a concert and something that you enjoy doing. And on the way home, you know what you say? We need to do this more often. We need to do this more often. That's the way joy is. Once we give into it, once we engage it, once we put it on our calendar and we, we make it important, we realize, but this is this filled up my heart. We gotta do this again. We, we can't go this long stretch again where we're not experiencing this. But I, I would suggest that joylessness is the same way. I would suggest that it's very easy to develop the habit of seeing every day as drudgery, of seeing every day for the negative, for the critical, as overwhelming, as catastrophic, as I can't handle this, my life is out of control, nobody else has all the stress that I have, nobody else experiences all of the pressure that I have. This habit of viewing life in this way develops. And then every circumstance Every day, every opportunity, I view it through the lens of everything's awful. Nobody else deals with what I deal with, which is probably not true. It's probably not true. I mean, I know all of us have times in our life when life is overwhelming. All of us have times when life is difficult. But, I mean, just to be honest, I'm not the only person who's ever had three kids. I'm just not. I'm not the only person who's ever had three teenage daughters in their house. Pray for me, please. (laughs) I I am not the only parent of volleyball players, although if you follow me on social media, you probably think I do think that. But I, I realize I'm not the only parent trying to get people to practices in school and get homework done and get everybody. I am not the only one. But the habit of joylessness, you know what it triggers in me? It makes me think that sort of thing. It makes me think that my life is bigger, harder, more out of control than anybody else's. And maybe it's not. Maybe what I need is I need to interrupt my joyless life with joy. I mean, maybe, maybe I need to ask God to give me more joy. And I, need, and I need to put in my life times of celebration where I can step back and go, you know what? A lot going on when you got three teenage daughters in the house. But man, look at this whole list of good stuff God's blessed us with. And, and, and here's the catch. If you're a follower of Jesus, and if you're not, if you're not there yet, if you're not sure you believe all this or not, you get a time out for about two minutes. You don't have to listen to this part. But if you're a follower of Jesus, 
I, I want to say to you, people do notice this thing. People do notice when you claim to follow Jesus and everything that comes out of your mouth is critical and sarcastic and biting and negative and cruel and it's terrible and my life is out of control and everything is catastrophic. People notice. If you claim to follow a God who's full of joy, if you claim to follow a God who takes joy in his creation, who takes joy in his people, who takes joy in himself, who takes joy in his will and his purposes, getting accomplished, and let, yet all you ever view life as is discouraging. All you ever say is what's negative. All you ever post is what's falling apart in your life. And I realize our lives fall apart sometimes. But if the consistent message of your life is negativity... How's someone outside of the kingdom supposed to make sense of that? When you claim to follow a God of joy, and your life never expresses that, people notice. I'm not suggesting that we should be fake. I'm not suggesting we should fake it till we make it. I'm not suggesting that, that we can't be honest when we go through difficult times. All I'm saying is, If difficult times is 12 months out of the year, every single year, there's something bigger going on. And there's a heart issue that you need to let God deal with. And there's a perspective issue because you see what you're looking for. And for whatever reason, you've formed the habit of seeing what's negative and seeing what's catastrophic and seeing what's falling apart instead of seeing what resounds to God's glory and what brings joy and how he's at work in our lives. Because the reality is ultimate joy comes from Him. It comes from Him at work in our life. Paul writes in the New Testament, Galatians 5, he says, the fruit of the Spirit, and by that he means what should be happening in your life as you follow Jesus more and more. Are these characteristics, and the first one he mentions is love. You know what the second one is? Joy. Like, if you're walking with Jesus, if you're yielding to the Spirit of God, yeah, you're going to have tough times. It's going to be difficult. You can be real about that. You can be authentic about that. But the characteristic of your life, if you're following Jesus, there's going to be love and there's going to be joy. And people need to see it because people need joy today. People need to be able to look at us and say, they they got something that I would like. And that comes through God. I mean, ultimate joy comes when Christ is at work in our lives and when we are obeying Him. The psalmist writes, the precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. I mean, if I want joy in my heart, then I got to live for Him and not for me. I got to listen to Him and not listen to me. I got to walk with Him. Let His Spirit be developed in me. So that other people might see love and joy and patience and peace and kindness in my life. Let's pray. God, thank you for calling us to joy. Because you know that's what our heart needs. It's what our heart runs on. It gives energy to everything else that we do. This ability to celebrate. And God, we live in a world where 
Everybody has an opinion. Everybody has a negative remark. Any story that comes out, somebody can find something negative. We just we have this bent. We have this habit toward joylessness. Break it in us, God. Break it and fill our hearts with joy. May the fruit of the Spirit be evident in our lives. And part of the fruit is, is joy, lasting, eternal joy. Not determined solely by our circumstances, but determined by the fact that we are in right relationship with the God who created us through His Son, Jesus Christ. So help us to live that out every day. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.